session with Dr. Farid Holaku. Afternoon, welcome to In Session. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Halakwi, and I'll be with you for the next two hours here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in 310-441-0555. You can follow me on Twitter or Instagram or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show or suggest topics or books for the program. And the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Again, our studio number 310-441-0555. So didn't do a show Monday because of the Persian New Year. Happy Nowruz to all the Iranians around the world who are listening. Wish you and your family all the best. So we'll be doing the books today. Uh, before I get started from the book from last week, the book of the week for this week is The Zen of Therapy by Mark Epstein. The Zen of Therapy, Uncovering a Hidden Kindness in Life. And I've read a few books by Mark Epstein and I really like them and this is his latest one so thought i would check it out look forward to reading it and sharing it with you next week all right the book of the week from last week that i'll talk about today is of sound mind by nina kraus of sound mind how our brain constructs a meaningful sonic world and i've read a lot of books on neuroscience over the past few years but this is the first one that i'd read that was devoted solely to sound or our auditory processing and I'm glad I read this book because of that I hadn't read a book that was devoted to hearing one of our very important senses and Nina Krauss is a neuroscientist who has a brain volts lab where they are focusing on um, things related to auditory processing in the brain and and how that works and also doesn't work often when we are understanding anything but especially the human brain or how we do certain things we often see how things work by seeing how things don't work or when things break down what happens or what's causing that breakdown and when we think of our ability to hear we recognize or i was recognizing in this book we sometimes forget how much has to go right or how much we do automatically to process what we hear you hearing my voice right now how we're able to do that is quite remarkable but we obviously take it for granted because you don't have to think about it it just happens naturally or automatically but again when we see things break down we start to see how delicate it truly is um, and so in this book it first talks about one of the things that's always important when we think about how we approach the world and how we think of the mind we used to think of the mind as something that like a computer just calculates a bunch of things takes in information and spits out some kind of readout or some kind of calculation but more and more we've seen that it's much more of an interactive process it's not just bottom up there's also top down so what does that mean bottom up means if we're looking at let's say vision it's that there's something out there it gets projected onto my eye onto my retina and then it goes through all these processes and at the end I see something in my brain or I see something so we used to think of that as really the only thing that was going on this bottom-up type of a thing but we've learned more and more that actually there's a lot of top-down things that are happening too meaning that it's not just a one-way street the brain is also predicting and anticipating what it's going to see based on its experience 
that affects what it does see. So it's a dynamic process rather than just a one-way street. So there's the bottom up, but also the top down, and they interact together. And so she describes in this book how we see the same thing when it comes to our sonic world or auditory processing. It's not just sound out there gets to our ears and then we process it and hear something. There's definitely a two-way street where our experiences will affect our expectations, which will also affect what we hear. And so sound is essentially the air vibrating in certain ways that then gets detected by our ears and becomes uh, part of this process that then allows us to hear things, which itself is quite remarkable. And so she describes in the book different aspects of this process, starting with the ear and the outer ear and then going inward. And what has to happen is this vibration or this um, the sound that's picked up as vibration in the air has to at some point be transduced into electrical impulses, which is how our brain communicates or how our brain functions. So she goes through that whole process so you can get a detailed account of the physiology and then the neurology or neurobiology behind how we hear things. So that's uh, interesting to see how precise and intricate it is. And it also, when we think of hearing, often if we think of hearing loss, most people, myself included, would likely think of, okay, the ear or parts of the ear that are involved, what we think of as hearing. But as she describes in the book, it can also be the parts of the brain that are related to hearing. And there's so many of them. There's a whole pathway that can be affected in some way when it comes to to that as well. So we have to look at, again, that both sides. The brain can also be affected, but not just uh, not just the ear. The brain can also be affected as well. So we, we see this uh, dynamic process, as I mentioned, and trying to understand hearing, it helps us see that the sonic world is much more complicated than I definitely had thought myself. Now, how can we understand what's going on in the brain? Because what's fascinating is Although we might think, well, we all hear the same thing, what she has found and other neuroscientists have found is that we all will hear something slightly differently. We have different signatures in how we even respond and hear things. And they've come up with an incredible way of measuring what we hear. And, and it's quite fascinating, and I invite you to go online and check it out, um, where we can try to understand or hear back what the brain is hearing. And so she's been involved in that research as well, um, that they put electrodes on the scalp and doing that, they are able to measure what is called a frequency following response, FFR. And so this response essentially reflects what the brain is hearing. And so what's amazing is that she plays, for example, Amazing Grace for the individuals to listen to. And using these electrodes, they measure the brain activity and they play it back and it sounds something like that same thing, which is incredible. So they hear something like the brain response, which is playing back the sound. And then they show two people, two different people playing back that same thing and it's slightly different. So we see that although what they're hearing is similar, it might actually sound a little bit different person to person, which is quite fascinating. But hearing that this is what the brain is producing it was remarkable for me, so I, I was fascinated by that. So that's a, a, a thing that I had not did not know about, the frequency-following response, which actually allows for us to hear what the brain is hearing. Now, she goes through different topics in trying to understand the connections between that and um, hearing and how we can understand them. One of them is music. So 
we often think of music as being good for lots of things, but we can also see how it affects the way our brain hears certain things. And so essentially when you become a musician, and it could be your voice or you play an instrument, it affects the ways you hear that you actually hear things a little bit more clearly. So you hear sounds in a certain way that make it easier for you to hear certain things. Not only that, music can contribute to language abilities because there's a connection there of how we hear and how we process and produce sounds and could then re uh, learn to talk and also read. So they find in students who play a musical instrument, they actually do better in reading and language as well. So another reason to encourage your kids, emphasis on encourage, not force, but encourage your kids to get involved in a musical instrument and to play it consistently, to play it for some time uh, to get some of these benefits along with others as well. She also talked about bilingualism, learning more than one language. And I remember years ago hearing a lot more about the negatives of being bilingual, that people thought maybe it's confusing for a child. And most of the research does not point to this confusion. There are some indications that it could affect your vocabulary in, let's say, if you only knew one language compared to knowing two, so slightly less vocabulary. Also, in some of her research, they found that if you're bilingual, at times you have a harder time picking out sound. So if you're in a noisy environment, you might have a harder time to hear the person that you are talking to because you'll pick up other things because you know more sounds that make language for you. So it could be a little bit confusing. But she has this uh, diagram in the book showing that, okay, there are these two things. You might have slightly less vocabulary, some issues hearing speech in a noisy environment, but then there's a whole host of reasons why bilingualism can actually be helpful from if you're going to learn another language, it helps. Um, it could help with things like attention, recognizing patterns, um, in uh, your ability to actually stave off dementia. Sometimes they found that people who are bilingual are less likely to progress negatively if they have something like Alzheimer's. So there's a whole bunch of reasons why it's helpful. I've also seen other studies showing that it can contribute to things like creativity as well, that you can see things from a variety of perspectives. So similar to music, it actually turns up the sound in the way that you hear certain things. She also mentions athletics. So when people look at the hearing ability of athletes, we find that athletes also hear slightly better. In this case, it's actually that it turns down the noise. So anytime we're trying to uh, see something, hear something, there's what we can consider the signal, what you're trying to get to, and then the noise. So with bilinguals and musicians, they hear the signal louder, but when it comes to athletes, the noise, the background gets turned down. And by this, it doesn't mean literally the noise, but the way that the brain is perceiving certain things. So interestingly, you might not consider athletics related to hearing and your auditory abilities, but there is research showing that athletes indeed do seem to have this lower noise which allows them to hear slightly better but she also does mention one downside when we look at athletics which is that concussions we hear about them a lot in football and other sports that it can affect a lot of things but also can affect your auditory brain and the way that you you hear things um, and so she actually describes some research and some measures that show that when someone has a concussion, it affects their auditory abilities. And this actually can even be an indicator of understanding what they are 
uh, how how they're doing or how their recovery is something that I had had no idea about. And again, here when we think about the effects of a concussion on hearing, we might first think, well, yes, yeah, something happens and the brain gets or, or the ears might get damaged in some way. Which, of course, if that happens, that's going to lead to hearing issues. But because hearing is not just about the ears, it's also about the brain and this whole pathway. There can also be effects that are happening on the brain level. The brain gets impacted, of course, quite literally when we're talking about a concussion. And because of that, if there's some type of damage or problems, this can contribute to hearing issues as well. So I thought that was quite interesting to to see that um, there is this connection there. So, you know, this book, again, is a quite interesting account on looking at the neuroscience of the way that we listen, the way that we hear things, and how it is such a dynamic process, things that I had no idea about, like these connections between um, the experiences we have and how they can affect how we hear things. Also, the languages we're exposed to and how that can affect how we hear things were quite fascinating. So, very interesting book on this topic of sound and how our brains process sound to hear what we hear, the things that go right, but also the things that can go wrong that help us better understand this very intricate process. It's a big part of our sensory world. All right, let's go to a commercial break. Studio number 3104410555. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's go to a caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hello? Hi, thanks for calling. Hi, uh, thank you so much for your time and taking my call. Sure. Um, so I have a uh, just a child development question for you, and specifically about the best time to transition a young child to a new school. Um, my son is four years old, and he's a very, very sensitive, highly emotional, and I would say a deeply feeling kid. Mm-hmm. And last year, he went through a lot of changes um, during COVID, we, we moved from the East Coast to the Bay Area so that I could be closer to my family. And I also had my second son last year. And then we enrolled my son, my older son, to this amazing Persian immersion school in the Bay Area. And uh, the transition last year was incredibly difficult for him. He had a really difficult time adjusting. He was just learning Farsi. And then he went back to, you know, he just went back to school after staying home with me. And then I had my, my second son. So he had a hard time um, last year. This year he's doing well in his uh, preschool. And um, my husband uh, very much wants him, wants our kids to eventually go to Spanish immersion elementary school. And, and my issue right now is whether my son should go to Spanish immersion school for his last year of preschool next year or remain in his current school. Um, his, his Persian school basically really recommended that that we stay for one more year just so that he has one more year of stability given how difficult the transition was for him last year mm-hmm. they worry it would be too too many transitions given that he's so sensitive and, and they also said that because the the way the preschools arrange it's from like a, a three to five age group he's always been the younger kid in in last year and this year but next year he would be given the opportunity to be like a leader and mentor and and they really they've they basically said that they think that it would boost his self-esteem and his confidence. Um, okay. But on now, the other hand, our, our issue is, if, you know, if, knowing that this, my child is so emotional, maybe it is better to have him start at the school he'll eventually go to, and it might be better for him to learn that language, meet kids in that school earlier, given that, you know, yeah. he's going to go so there eventually. Let me, so, so tell me a bit about, like, what what's 
what's the reason for the changing? I know you said your husband wants that. So why why does he want that? What's going into that decision making? So essentially, we're we're um, we, we believe that my, my my children should learn essentially a, a second language fluently. Um, the the Persian immersion school he's at they they stop the Persian um, immersion in preschool and it, it doesn't go on in elementary. So we put a lot of value in him learning. And it's kind of like what you just said in your last, your last segment right mm-hmm. now, that learning another language, learning, um, just being able to have the second language is really beneficial to you. And, and my husband's of the mind that Spanish is a very beneficial, it's fairly common, it's a dominant language in uh, California and in the world. So that's why, and the schools actually like will eventually include Mandarin. So it's supposed to be for you know, really diverse kids. It's a great school. I, I, I do want my son to eventually go to this elementary school. My question is, like, the timing of when, when is a good transition for a kid that's so sensitive that takes transition so badly? Well, yeah, and that's one of the things we're, we're going to have to accept that it's probably going to be difficult no matter when you do it for him, mm-hmm. and he will resist it or he won't like it. Uh, I think in the – so you're saying should you do it now or at the end of this school year? No, should he do it um, for next year, or okay. should he do it when he starts kindergarten? Um, I don't think there's a a black and white on that that I'd say for sure do it at this time or, or that time. Um, the thought you have is let him have this ex- is is either basically let him have that full experience at this preschool and to be like the oldest, which has its own yeah. perks and experiences, or do we transition him to that school that he's going to be in longer? Um, so he already gets to adjust to it sooner, basically. Right, right. Okay. And so at this point, well, let me ask you this. How does he like his current school? So that's a good question. Um, what's strange is he, he it's hard, like when we're taking him to class, he, he keeps saying he doesn't want to go. And then, but then when he gets to class, he like runs in, he's very, you know, at home there. Yeah. Well, my mistake was I had a, a early, I had told him ahead of time, like, you know, six months ahead of time that, we're considering sending him to Spanish school. Like, what does he think about that? And he, and then after I said that, he be, he became very obsessive with his clothing. Hmm. And then he would, and you know, what we think might have happened was he became, he wanted to get a sense of control over something. I think I, you know, he's too young maybe for me to have told him so early on that we may transition to another school. That might be have been very overwhelming for him. So what we noticed was after we had brought this up. He became just so obsessive with his clothing, like very, um, kind of like he had like ADD a little bit, uh, like the way he was acting. So when we stopped talking about the transition, he seemed to have been calmed down a bit. Um, and that's, that's kind of what triggered my fear of like, oh, you know what, maybe this was too soon to like even transition him this early. And hmm. maybe he should have the benefit of staying somewhere where he has more stability and, and be able to be a leader. Because well, yeah, he, he is he is so sensitive. Right? I, he doesn't have much confidence. He, he tends to be a follower. He, he he's a, you know he's obviously younger, but um, I, I do want to. I don't want to ruin the chance of him having this opportunity to like feel better about himself before he goes to this new school. Well, and the thing is, then he'll have that you know transition the next year. So I wouldn't make that such a big part of the decision that you're making. Um, he's going to be likely a sensitive kid wherever he is. It seems like right. it's how he, he seems to be, how he is. Now, you bringing it up to him, was it too early? Possibly. But we, we do want to have kids be involved in their decision-making, so I can understand you you wanting to ask him 
to see even what he says, what's his reaction to it, because you were really unsure about that. Mm-hmm. And is your husband right now? Where is the decision at? Is your husband more for the let's have him start next year, and you want to keep him the following year? Yeah, my my husband says let's start as soon as possible to the Spanish school. I'm I'm I mean I'm I'm the Iranian one of this couple, so I prefer him to stay at the Iranian school. Okay, yeah. And what yeah? What's your husband's cultural background? He's uh, Eastern European. Okay. So he he prefers that he goes to the Spanish speaking school. I mean, it might is there something for you there personal about the the Persian school, the Iranian school? What for well for me, I want it, it I, and this is a, probably a topic for another call, but I'm very hmm. much into the Iranian. I'm Iranian American. I grew uh-huh. up in America, but I've been very attached to the Iranian culture. It means a lot to me for my kid to learn appreciate our culture so it's the goal oh no, no the the persian immersion school is like the perfect school in my mind of providing you know farsi immersion learning about our culture learning about our holidays the food that they eat is mostly iranian food and so that obviously is to my benefit it's something that i want but um but even taking that step aside i i just like the the school is basically my dream school for what i want for him our issue with that school is that it, there's no language immersion in elementary school, so that's why we were planning on eventually transitioning him. Mm-hmm. And does your husband like the school so far, as far as what it's been? Does he like it as well? Yeah, he, he does like it. I, I will say I think he um, he's not Iranian-American, so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like all of our friends, the community tends to be Iranian, so I think he's amongst like, you know, he's like an outlier amongst all these Iranians. Um, so I think a part of him wants him to go to this other school that's you know very diverse and it has a lot of different ethnicities. Yeah, there's something there that it's like at least there if it's a Spanish speaking school, you'll be on equal you and him will be equal in a way which might be good right. your son could have this feeling that dad is not part of this and that you know that could be a bit confusing for him too like at the Iranian right. school if he's if your husband's the only one who's not practically uh the Persian that could have an effect on how he's feeling there. Now we're seeing there's also you're obviously thinking about your kid and worried about him, but something about you and your husband or between you and your husband about this cultural um, situation that you have being, well, you in a way are both bicultural, I guess also, but not being from the same cultural background and how do you navigate that together, but especially with your kids and what you teach them, what do you expose them to? This is always a challenge that you're going to have when you have you know, any kind of difference, a religious Very, difference, a cultural yeah. difference, you know, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, I will say, I, I now I now know why families, parents always say, like, marry within your culture, because <laughs> um, I didn't realize it until we got married, not even until we got married, until we had children that um, we have we had different uh, objectives for our children. Sure. Um, I will say for me, I'm very, like, into the Iranian culture, and my husband, although he, he came, uh, I was, I, I came to America when I was one, he came to America when he was 10. So he, but oddly he has like a less of affinity for his culture, but he's more about um, being very like uh, like a global citizen, learning many uh, languages. So he was open to our children learning Farsi because he appreciates um, more, our children learning as many languages as possible. But um, he's more of like a global mindset, whereas I'm more of a, like my, I really want them to know my culture. Mm. It's very important to me that like they they don't completely assimilate. 
Okay. So, you know, you're saying this, the marrying someone outside of your culture, it can be challenging. I, I hope you don't second guess it too much. Obviously, you are not no, no. in this situation, <laughs> but it does have challenges that come up and they do tend to come up with children. You see the same thing with religion where people might say, well, I'm not very religious, so it doesn't matter. And then they have kids and they might feel a bit differently about right. what's going to be taught to the kids. You know, what I'm hearing from you is there's this wanting to hold on to the, the culture, which is not necessarily a, a bad thing. It could be very good. But I'm wondering if you feel like you've lost by leaving Iran and then coming to the United States, you lost your sense of that connection to it. And there's a fear of losing it. Or also, what's been the relationship with your parents and you when it comes to the Iranian culture? Also an interesting question. Um, I uh, I will say my parents, when we came to America, they didn't like push Farsi on us. They 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 never pushed the culture. It just was like there in the background. Um, I I ended up going to UC Berkeley where there was a lot of Iranians. So I really gravitated towards the culture in college, and then started going to Iran every summer on my own. My sister, on the other hand, is like the exact opposite of me. Like doesn't not really interested. Um, like probably fully Americanized. So I guess because I, and then, and then you know, I, I'm a very Iranian-American, so my parents never really pushed any the culture on me. I, I'm coming out with a, of it of, like, I wish my parents pushed it. I wish my parents, like, forced me to speak Farsi when I was younger. Like, I wish I could read and write Farsi really well. Mm-hmm. Um, and all these, I, I guess I'm putting my own um, wants that I wanted, you know, in my childhood on my child, on my children's so that like they, it's just there, they have it. And if they're interested in pursuing, like enjoying the culture, they can, and they don't feel like an outcast, like maybe I did in college. Cause I, I was kind of like, I kind of taught myself the culture a little bit more and got more involved in it than my parents were. Interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, always parents are going to bring their own stuff resolved and unresolved things on you know into their parenting and so it's good to be aware of it and you seem to have some awareness of that now before you went to berkeley where you said you it seems like you found a persian student community that you really connected with how was your experience in school did you feel like different from children was it hard to find and navigate between these two cultures for you what was your experience like so i i went to a predominantly like white school I lived mm-hmm. in a predominantly white community so I didn't I just had a weird name that people made fun of me and I mm. you know I Americanized it um, so I never felt outcasted because I never felt like I was not American you uh-huh. know uh-huh. so I um, I so in that sense I, I didn't have a hard hard um, childhood and it was until I went to Berkeley that I I you know you you obviously gravitate towards people where you have a connection so I met a lot of other fellow Iranian Americans that had similar like upbringings. Like I was never allowed to sleep over. They also were never allowed to sleep over. So it was like a commonality that I had. And I love that. It's like I, and it, it gave me instant friends. Like you had an instant connection just by being, just having the same culture. Um, and I think that's what I want for my kids of like just this opportunity of um, being able to connect with other friends easily. And also my, my Farsi, I, I ultimately have an American accent when I speak because I only started, like, really, I, I understand it 100% because my parents speak to me in Farsi, but um, I always responded in English, and it was only until college I started taking Farsi classes, and I really just hated my accent my whole life, so I, hmm. I just really, it was, like, very important to me that these kids learn Farsi, and that's why I had, like, enrolled them in this amazing Persian immersion school. 
um, so that they can, you know, have a foundation of it. Yeah. And so we have to be aware of how much we're, you know, giving our kids what we didn't have, but that maybe they don't need or want or it, it won't be that right. different for them. So you're saying when you spoke Farsi, you felt you had an accent and you didn't like that. Yeah. Oh, I can relate to that. And I can also relate <laughs> to uh, the, the name thing. So usually if I'm in a non-Persian environment, I, I go by Farid, which is kind of like the, the Americanized version of Farid yeah. because they can't say some of those sounds. <laughs> so you don't have to share your name, but I can just share that I, I know what that's like. Now, we're at a commercial break, but I want us to continue our conversation because something I want you to think about is that although you're saying when you were younger, you know, you were able to Americanize your name and felt okay about it, but then you went to Berkeley and it seems like you connected to something that you re didn't realize you were disconnected from. So although you were okay before that point, you might have felt like some part of you was disowned or not connected to. And then when you mm -hmm. did, there was this experience of, oh, what was I missing this whole time? Or yeah. what, what if I had this the whole time that you yeah. might be afraid your, your kids won't have, but your children, of course, are in a different context than you. So let's go to commercial break. Okay. We could talk a bit about these issues and then come back to the school choice topic of when the, the timing of that after the break. Okay. Okay, great. All right, we'll be right back. Welcome back. Before the break, we're with the caller. Let's go back to them now. Caller, are you still there? Hi. Hi. Okay, so at the end, I kind of left you with some thoughts or questions to reflect on um, about your own own experience. But what was anything I was saying resonating with your experience of being disowning some parts of yourself, connecting to it, and then recognizing you want to, you, you wish you had that. I think you did agree with that, but tell me some of your thoughts on that or what came up for you as I was discussing that. Sure. So I, I mean, I, I definitely agree with what you're saying. I, um, it's not that I was, it, it was more that I, I guess I felt like an outcast, like I wasn't fully a part of the Iranian community because I, you know, my, my, I just started speaking Farsi at an accent and like, I, I wasn't really like, you know, in the culture in that sense where we celebrated, like, I, I don't remember as a child celebrating like Shabbat Yaldar or like Nehregan. We definitely celebrated like Noruz and like Suzebedeh, mm -hmm. but not the other holidays. So I, I felt like, and I started going to Iran every summer when I was, after I was in college. So I, um, I kind of felt like, an outcast even in the Iranian community in a way mm -hmm. because and I was always like very shy to speak Farsi so so I always had a feeling and I remember I when I would go to Iran like you my like my family members and like people in Iran would be like oh you're not really Iranian and then you're an American you're not mm -hmm. really an American mm -hmm. so you have this moment yep. of like what you know what am I no one's accepting me <laughs> yeah. but um but I guess what I when I went to college, I, you know, I started taking Farsi classes. I took um, a lot of like Iranian poli-sci classes and I, it's kind of more like I was so amazed by our culture. I was so proud of it. Um, I, I like love the food. I just loved everything about it. Farsi sound, sounds like poetry to me, like how, um, just like be how beautiful the words are in their like literal translation. And I felt like, oh, I, I missed that. And in addition, I also felt like an outcast in like the Iranian community, mm -hmm. because I wasn't fully, you know, speaking of Farsi, I was totally shy. Um, and I always felt like I like never got involved in a lot of like, I mean, I, I, I was like president of our Iranian club at Berkeley. I was like really involved, but I wasn't involved in, you know, professional groups. So like as an adult, so I kind of was like, you know, I, I want this for my children. Um, I want them to have the opportunity to 
like get involved, connect with the Iranians more, if, if that's something that they would want. I want to have it as an option for them. Yes. Whereas I felt like I, I was denied that. Mm -hmm. I, don't, I didn't really have that as an option for me. Yeah, I mean, what you're describing is, I think, many people go through that when we're either uh, the children of immigrants, immigrants ourselves, or bicultural in some ways. I think what you said is exactly that feeling. It's like I don't belong with the Iranians in Iran or even here, and then I don't quite belong with the American or the the main culture that I'm a part of. Mm -hmm. And so there is this sense of uh, identity within ourselves, identifying within the people around us, feeling a sense of belonging, a sense of community and connection that can be hard to find. And it does seem like you didn't recognize it as much until you found it in Berkeley where there was Iranian American. So it's hard to find that. It's people who are not quite yeah. Iranian, not quite American, that somewhere in between or have both. And you found mm -hmm. that in like-minded people and it must have felt so nice to have that sense of connection, that sense of community that felt really good. Also what you went through is something that many people will, will go through um, when they are the children of immigrants or new to culture. When you're younger, you're more connected to your parents to whatever degree, but sometimes you go away from that. But then when you get a little bit older in late adolescence and are finding your identity, you will often come back to your culture of origin or your lineage or your background. And so something in that must have been very powerful for you. And so you want that for your kids, but it's important to recognize that your kids have a different situation than you, right? So them being immersed in the Iranian culture is not the same as if you were to have been as immersed Right. in the Iranian culture because for one they were born here now you came here when you were one so it's not that different but they were born here but also they have a father who's not Iranian and so yeah. there's definitely a difference there and what we often do is we experience something and we try to take a lesson from it and usually the lesson is well do what I wish happened to me or do the thing that worked but we have to recognize that often the lesson is this sense for you and this sense of community rather than this sense of Iranian culture is the key to make my kids feel good, you know, or feel, uh, you know, that they have something. So it's it's challenging because it's not that you have to not include the Persian culture in their lives, but recognizing that what's pushing you towards that is one, you wish you had that. And so you don't mm -hmm. want to not have that. And often parents will feel the sense like they want to feel connected to their kids. And this is one of the ways they can feel connected is through the culture. This is actually why parents have such a hard time. You know, Iranian parents, they come here and their kids start becoming like the American kids and they really right. don't like that one because culture is not just about preferences, it's about living a good life and being a good person. So the less you're like us and the more you're like them, the worse you're gonna become and there's all those things. But then there's also the sense that I'm losing my kids. I'm not gonna be connected to them uh, because we won't share this culture. So you might feel a lot of those things all at once when it comes to your children that it's important for you to be mindful of that they're going to be there those feelings but you don't want to react too strongly to them because you have to recognize your children are going to be in a very different circumstance than you are in and that it's right. also very important that you and your husband are aligned and on the same page as you create this culture of the family but also uh, navigate the cultures and how your children will be exposed to to different things so i know that was a mouthful but wanted to share some thoughts on the different um, aspects of what it seems like you're dealing with. Well, I will say that in um, the Persian immersion, why, why I like it is, let's say half the class are um, children of like immigrants that came when they were like in high school, so they're mm -hmm. like 100% Iranian. But the other half of the class are people like my son, where they're half Iranian and half something else. 
So I kind of, what I appreciated about that is like my, my children could see themselves in their classroom, right? They are half something else. They, they actually all look really similar too, because half the Iranian half, like American kids have like a particular look. Um, but uh, so in that sense, I, I, I like this school because, because of that. Whereas I, I'm sure my husband likes the other school more because it's more just diverse. It's more of like an international type of school where the parents are from like two different cultures like us. Um, I think one of my, I, and I can, I can see this, so I, I have a lot of self-awareness of it, um, mm-hmm. but I think like I'll see the kids in the class that are like from where the both their parents are Iranian and they're like, I, you could just tell these kids will grow up with a strong Iranian culture. And a part of me feels like, I, like my, I know my parents always say like, you know, you, you know your children's generation, they're not gonna like speak Farsi, like why are you putting so much effort into it? Like, their kids are definitely not going to speak Farsi, you know, like, you know, you should kind of let it go. Like, why are you putting so much pressure? A part of me feels like I was, like, I'm not, like, oh, it's my fault I'm not Iranian enough. I I wasn't, I'm not Iranian enough to pass down my culture on my own. And then, like, I really need the school to help me. (laughs) Well, that's, yeah, so this Iranian enough, what does that make you feel about not being Iranian enough, which is itself a judgment? But what does that feel like to you? I mean, it's not, I mean, I, I want to be part of that community, so it doesn't feel good when you don't feel like Iranian enough. Like, I don't, I try to speak Farsi to my kids, but I do a lot of, like, you know, Farsi English, and obviously, like, if I want to tell this, like, amazingly detailed, funny story, it's easier to say it in English, whereas in Farsi, it's, like, a very bland <laughs> story. <laughs> um, so I have to use English a lot when I'm speaking to my kids. And, um, and in that sense, I'm like, oh, I, I don't have this strong grasp of Farsi to like give them this language that I need this immersion school to like have eight hours of Farsi so that he, my children can speak Farsi. I have like an understanding of it. Whereas like, you know, I see like our fellow classmates, like even when one parent is Iranian and one is not, that one parent is constantly speaking Farsi because they're, you know, they're from Iran coming in and they speak Farsi really well and their kid understands and speaks Farsi really well. And in that sense, I'm like, okay, well I can't, I don't measure well against them because I, my Farsi is not that great. But I, I think I counter balance it with like being really into the culture, like really celebrating the holidays, like just doing as much as I can that's relating to anything Iranian related for these kids. I, I may be hmm. pushing it kind of down their throat. Uh, <laughs> well, a bit, maybe, yeah, maybe with Osh, if you're pushing it down their throat, you're pushing, you know, somehow you're finding a way to get it to them. But there is this way that you're talking in a very Iranian culture, good, lack of it, bad kind of a way, yeah. you know, and also judging yourself like, you know, you're too diluted to then pass down more of this culture mm-hmm. to your kids. If you had it more, you'd be passing down more. But we can see there's this strong bias towards the Iranian culture being so good. And if your kids don't have it, they're missing something, something is lacking. And because of that, you're lacking in some way because you didn't have the capacity to pass it on as strongly to your kids. Um, and so culture does tend to give us this feeling that the way we're doing things is right and good. And then when we have traditions and customs, they feel really good because they connect us with others. They bring back memories. They bring back this feeling of home and all these things that we want for our kids to have. But really, the way I would look at it is that there's no culture that has the winning way of doing it. You know, so another culture, they'll celebrate a holiday in this day. And it doesn't mean their, their holiday is not good and, you know, Noru's is special. It's that to you, you won't feel anything about their holiday because there is no connection to it. So the the things that your children are going to experience don't have to be 
a certain set of things, that these are the right ways to feel connected and to feel good. What I think is really actually important is that you and your husband with your kids create your own experiences that you all share together. So it it could even be that having the Iranian would make it a little bit more disconnected because your husband won't be as involved rather than if it's things you, the four of you, I guess, for now in the nuclear family share together in some way could be important to have. So um, it does seem like it's, it's so hard to untangle this feeling we have to certain experiences and it can feel so deep and so connected to how we emotionally experience things. But it can bias us to think that the Iranian culture is going to be the one and anything, however, you know, whatever less they get of the Iranian culture, like you're almost hurting your kids or depriving your kids. I do think you felt that way yeah. because, you know, your kids are, are going to be less Iranian than you and they, they probably should be. It makes sense for them mm-hmm. to be. Um, you know, they have a father that's not Iranian and that should be a big part of who they are too. So right. Right. I, I'm feeling, you know, now again, the timing of the school though does not necessarily mean you have to get him out of that school immediately. This to me is actually bigger picture things that it's important for you and your partner to right. communicate about, connect about. And I think for you to see that I want my kids to have a culture that makes them feel connected to us. And yes, maybe to their grandparents, but you know, they have two sets of grandparents. So how are we going to navigate that? But finding that way and recognizing that the way that seems right to you is because that was right for you, but not necessarily right. for them. That's a good point. So no, I, I, yeah. I will say I, um, I, I, I have like a somewhat awareness of like that it's a lot of this is like what I want. Because I have a lot of, you know, friends that say like, oh, you want your child to learn Farsi? Then you, you improve your Farsi and speak to him. And that's it. Like, that, that's what you should do. Like, it's me that should change, right? Not like enforce this change on them. Um, and I have started speaking more Farsi to them at home. I, and I'm, I'm very open to my husband's culture as well. Uh, and I, I do always see, I, like from like what I've gauged that when kids are multicultural, uh, if one culture put, is being pushed down their throat but the other one isn't, they tend to move towards the, that other one. <laughs> so I'm very, I feel like but, I'm a, But you know what, in what you're even saying there, it's like this, okay, I don't want to make them go away from I the do. Iranian. <laughs> There's still a strategy there, which I could, I you know. That. So you're like, wait a second, I actually have to embrace that one enough where they actually embrace the Iranian one even stronger. So, yeah, don't you caught me. Yeah. <laughs> not trying to catch you, but I want you to notice it yourself. There's such a strong bias towards this the Iranian is good. And I'm sure a lot of people listening, especially if the show is, you know, in Farsi right now, would be agreeing with that. But I think it's realizing that that's not really the case. And your kids, you know, being more Iranian might not even help them or be good for them. Not that I'm saying they shouldn't be, but the way you might want them to break their, you know, living in this country and they're going to be exposed to different things. And the fear is like, you know, when you're saying, or like, you know, their kids, let's say, won't be, your parents said that to you. And that's probably true or you go further down. And that, you know, it does create an emotional reaction if something is being lost uh, yeah. and also something's being lost in our connection and our, you know, lots of these things. But but really, it's that's how the world is. Just like even if we look at from a technological way of doing things, you do things very differently than your parents and grandparents. You know, these things change and evolve based on the world we now find ourselves in. So we want your kids to, to do well in their present day and their future. And 
that Iranian culture can be part of that. It's not that I'm against it, but really recognizing that there seems to be a lot of your own experience, which you do have some awareness, I can tell by the way you talk about it. But you'll probably have to go a little bit deeper into that of understanding what did it feel like to you? Or did you feel, you know, upset with your parents? I think you mentioned something along those lines of not sharing more of that or pushing that. And so now your reaction is to do that to your kids, but it might not be beneficial. You know, it's like you're trying to heal a wound before that's not even there because it was within you, you know? So um, there could be some things worth looking at there of exploring that. Now, I, I want to wrap up. We're, we're at another commercial break, but let's just look at this school timing. To me, there's not a black and white about it. Mm-hmm. What I would, uh, you know, ask for you to do is to reflect on these things that we've talked about now so that the cultural pieces, it's going to be a longer process, and I know you might have to make a decision sooner, but to reflect a bit on, like, how much am I pushing this for this reason? Of course, the school is going to say for him to say at the school. Like, like unlikely they're going to say, no, leave the school and go somewhere else. Yeah. Not that I'm saying they have bad intentions, but their preference, and they think it makes sense, let him finish the program we have here, preschool, which yeah. which could make sense. But I'm not going to make this decision for you, and I don't even want you just to make it. I want you and your husband to discuss mm-hmm. it. With your child, it's tough because if you ask him, more than likely he doesn't want change. So it's right. unlikely he's also going to say, yeah, no, I want to change schools unless something really bad happens in these last couple of months right. that he doesn't like. So it's tough that we don't want to just make it for him without him being involved. We also want to recognize that if we ask him, this is different, but it reminds me of I work with families. Like, Well, I asked my six-year-old if he wants us to get divorced, and he said no. I'm like, well, well, of yeah. course a six-year-old <laughs> is going to say no unless, again, yeah. things are so bad and they recognize that. Um, so we have to be aware of how we involve him because of his age that he probably will just say keep things the same. Um, but that's something for you and your husband to figure out. But I hope you'll take a deeper look at these things. They're going to come up with him and, of course, your other child as well. And I think it's important for you and your husband together with the family to create a culture that is your own, that won't be mm-hmm. Persian, it won't be American, it won't be you know, his Eastern European only. It'll be a blend of those things. That is the, really the only thing that we can have. But I appreciate you calling, and it was nice talking to you. Thank you. It was very nice talking to you. Thank you for your time. My pleasure. Have a good day. Bye. All right. Zero four four one zero five five five. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's go to another caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hello. Hello. Hi, thanks for calling. Hi, uh, thanks for talking to me, doctor. Sure. Um, I'm calling from the East Coast. I'm 26 years old. Um, I've been pretty kind of a go-getter sort of my whole life, so I never really focused too much on relationships and just thought that part of my life would kind of figure itself out at some point. Um, so I ended up going to a really top uh, university um, in the Northeast, and I stayed in the Northeast, um, moved to New York City for med school, and I'm now going to residency at my top choice, um, also in the Northeast. Um, and in the six and a half months, uh, the previous six and a half months, I met someone, and you know we've been dating really seriously. He's my first. Um, boyfriend that I've you know ever really had because I come from a pretty traditional Iranian household and um, also like wasn't you know was born in Iran and everything Um, but we moved here when I was seven so me and my boyfriend we really connected early on because we both went to the same undergrad Um, we didn't know each other because he was two years ahead of me Um, but we really connected on like a similar immigrant story he's an immigrant from Europe um, with his parents and I kind of felt like he saw the world in a way that I was like hoping I would find 
someone to like see the world that way with me um and I really just felt like our relationship was going really well we traveled together to go to one of his um, family members weddings in Europe and then ended up spending like two weeks there together my parents met him and like absolutely love him and I also you know met his entire family and they like were welcoming to me and I, I never felt like out of place with them at all um so everything was going well we spent a lot of time together in the first one month but in the past I guess two months when things kind of died down a little bit more with med school I had more time to spend with him um where he lives and I kind of noticed that you know um at certain points like he was drinking throughout the day and drinking is not a big part of my life I mean I have a lot of friends that drink and my parents don't drink at all um but it really just like the first time that I saw that he was drinking throughout the day and like he works from home um it really really like just terrified me and I was Mm. like you know he's kind of trying to hide it as well like he was putting it in the fridge and then would take it out in the middle of the day and and not really like show me like take it up to like his office and not really show me and I thought okay like maybe this is just like some leftover beards that he had in the house whatever um but then like as the days went on like whenever he would have a bad day at work or a good day at work like his go-to almost always seemed to be to go to like a local bar and sit there and um just like one day I came back from a doctor's appointment and I found him, you know, he wasn't home at eight and it was like 5.30 p.m. And I was so excited to like make food together, watch a movie or something like that. But um, unfortunately, like I called him and he wasn't there and he was like, oh, like I'm at, you know, such and such place, the name of the bar that he sometimes went to. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess like in the past two months, I've noticed that it's more something that he uses to cope with like something not going well or I should also mention that he's he's gone through a really traumatic experience like about five, six years ago with um, the loss of his brother, which is very unexpected. And he hasn't like worked with a professional as of yet to kind of like work through that. And at times like he's brought that as like, you know, he saw something that triggered him. And so he found like that alcohol was something that kind of helped him get through it. And we've had many conversations since then about just like, the times when I felt like I was losing trust um, because of his drinking, like he would say, um, for example, he was come, uh, leaving from my place for the weekend on a Sunday evening, and um, I checked in with him. He said he was home, and like he was um, seeing his mom later on in the evening, and so I was really surprised when I got a phone call from his mom at 12.30 a.m., um, saying like, oh, is my son with you because he hasn't come home and he said he was on the way at like 6 p.m. Mm. Um, and I think that night, like, I was very nervous, like, even before I got the phone call because I had a feeling just because his communication changes whenever he's out and he's not telling me. Um, but that night, like, he came back at 2.30 a.m. We were almost, like, to the point that, like, we were going to call you know the police to go looking for him because we're like where could he be like he's not answering his phone like he told me he was home like he gave me every indication that he was at home and pretty much since that night like things haven't really been the same between us because I find it really tough to trust like anything he says um especially relating to alcohol and um 
you know, he said like he would try to stop, but it only really lasted for 10 days and he was supposed to come to my house and my parents were expecting him. And unfortunately, a similar thing happened like 10 days after that night and he didn't show up and I went to his house and I tried to end things because it's been causing me a lot of anxiety, but obviously I, I love him like so, so much. And I don't know what the right decision is here because mm-hmm. like I'm, I know the kind of future that I like envisioned for myself and that we kind of planned together in the past. Um, and I just feel like in the past few months, like, I don't know, maybe this was like always a thing and I just didn't notice it. Um, but you know, he had like, I feel like it was a perfect storm with the winter and his job not going as well as he wanted to. And, um, just like seeing triggers of his brother and, I'm, I'm like kind of confused like what to do because I don't want to lose him because I feel like like what if I never find something like that again like what if we're really meant to be together and I need to see him through this but at the same time I know I need someone like really really stable in my life and because like of the nature of the work that I have to do and that I'm you know for the next four years I'm going to be a resident and I can't deal with like a really stressful time at home and and our plan was always to like kind of move in together in the next few months and like I just all of that is like falling apart to me at the moment and so I feel very just nervous and anxious about this and I thought maybe talking to you would help. Sure well I'm I'm glad we're talking there's a lot going on I mean there always is in a relationship but there's definitely a lot that's happened in these last few months especially Um, you know this is why we date because we want to see different aspects of someone and you were more busy and maybe he was doing better so he could have even been drinking less or it was easier for him to hide it but then when you had more time and were able to see him more up close you know you're seeing these things that are really concerning and there's the drinking itself which seems concerning and then it's created a trust issue related to the drinking which is very very challenging to overcome as well when he's Mm -hmm. disappearing and you know hiding it and lying um, and even that story you told about you and him being together all weekend, what it's making mm-hmm. me wonder is like how he is in the relationship with you. Because if he went to drink right after that, like he kind of had to drink, it's almost like this. It, what is he getting from the relationship? Can he handle the feelings? Um, you know, it's almost like he was with you and then now he needed to take care of himself in some way. Or he was hiding it from you, holding it back. And then now it's like yeah. this release, you know, like he's been not drinking, not drinking. Okay, now I'm going to go. A drink as much mm-hmm. as I want because I couldn't do it in front of her. So that's concerning too because he's not being himself with you um, mm-hmm. and, and not allowing himself to be himself or he doesn't think you'll accept it. And so that's really a challenge. So I think it's good that you're thinking about it. You know, your thought about will I ever find anyone like this or this type of connection, obviously we can't say you definitely will, but we definitely don't want you to stay in a relationship that's not working because we don't know if for sure you're going to find something better you know you can be at a job that's not good and it's not exactly the same but you can be a job that's really toxic and then feel like well but i might might not find another job so i have to stay here so um, we would never want you to stay with him because you're not sure something else is out there we have to look at these you know these things that are there it seems like there's um even before you said something like even when he's feeling good you know and that's often how it is with anything that becomes compulsive or gets to addiction type of level. It's not just, mm-hmm. well, I'm sad, I need to drink. It's also, I'm happy. It's like a way of just dealing with any kind of intense feeling yeah. is to go 
towards that or there's really you know they'll find any excuse it was a good day it was a bad day it was an average day all of them somehow end up with like i need a drink so um yeah. it seems like he he's kind of there so what's been his uh, you know usually they might come off as almost like excuses but explanations about what's going on um yeah so i've kind of uh firstly when you mentioned that you know when when we're together on the weekends like everything just feels like perfect like you know we don't do anything that really involves drinking like in the beginning of the relationship he was really motivated because he had signed up for a marathon and all this stuff and and he really wasn't like i'm i'm just you know i've been thinking about the beginning um so much and he really was kind of in better spirits and just taking care of himself more and like more dependable i would say like I, this stuff like didn't really come up where he would say he's going to be somewhere and then like didn't show up and didn't pick up my calls but then you know recently when that happens like the next day he's always extremely apologetic um will come to me with like you know words that I, I need to hear to kind of like give him another chance but also like when he's acutely not um when when I approach him like that while he's like inebriated he sometimes will say like you don't know what I've been through like you can't tell me how to cope with like the loss of, of someone that was like so close to me at such a young age like and to me like that honestly does really hurt but then he'll like apologize and he'll say like I'm sorry I just like drove past you know the place where we had the funeral for him and like it really triggered me mm-hmm. but at other times it's been that like work hasn't been going well or one time it was that work went really well so he was celebrating but it's and at some point I thought like maybe it's because it's not really a part of my culture like my parents don't drink like his parents don't drink like maybe I'm just being like super sensitive to it but the more thinking I've done and like you know having the training that I do have now medically like I, I do think that you know I've, I've brought up with him that like he should see someone and he's really you know gotten more open to it because he sees that like I'm very much like considering leaving this relationship as it stands right now because I just I, I just get so anxious like I don't know what it is like I like if I don't hear from him for a couple hours like I'll immediately think that like mm-hmm. he's at somewhere and that he's going to one time like he was out and he fell and um like really badly injured his face and so like to me these like I care about him so much and I want him to get help but I know like as I think more about it I'm like I'm not ready to live with you and I I told him that and he said like but like if you loved me wouldn't you want to be there with me to like help me get through this and that makes me feel really bad because like I do want to, but I also have to in the next couple of months like, pick up my things and move and mm-hmm. like. Yeah, and that you know I, this this <laughs> of course you care about him, you love him, but he you know there has to be some reciprocation and it has to be the right relationship. Love is is necessary, but definitely not enough to make a relationship work. It's just something that's mm-hmm. there, but it's not like well you love him, so it doesn't matter what happens and what he does. Um, I know you're saying he says the right things, but he hasn't really taken the right actions from what you're you're sharing. Yeah. And the trust has been shattered pretty bad. And that's what happens when trust gets shattered. Even if he's not doing something, even if the the instances aren't that frequent, your constant feeling about him and around him, especially when you're not with him, is going to be this worry or 
anxiety about what's going on. And another thing we yeah. have to look at is, you know, you said this is, it seems like your first serious relationship. And yeah. so that can make it always harder to say, to let go of or to, mm -hmm. to say goodbye when that's the case. So, yeah. you know, there's a lot of these factors there. So we're at a commercial break, but I want us to continue the conversation. So after the break, okay. let's explore some things some more and see if we can get to some place, not necessarily where you'll make a decision, but we'll, we'll get some more clarity on what's going on. Yeah. So I'm going to go ahead, put you on Thank hold you. and we'll be right back after these messages. Welcome back. Before the break, we're with the caller. Caller, are you still there? Hello? Yes, yes, yes. I'm oh, here. Okay, there we go. Um, so you're talking about your relationship. It's been about six months, mm -hmm. um, and you're 26. I'm assuming he's about 28. You said he was two years ahead of you in, in school? Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, you're concerned about his, his drinking and then things that are uh, related to that. Um, you know, I, I get this sense from you, like you said, when the, when you're with him, it's so good. I'm wondering if he's holding back his feelings from you at times. But tell me about your emotional connection and relationship, how you see things going between you and him. Um, yeah, so we connected on a very deep level because I think he found that he could be really vulnerable with me and open up. Mm -hmm. about things just like about his family and about his brother especially and like just the you know how he lost him about five years ago and how that's like kind of been going for him and we get along like really well we always make each other laugh and like he's always like been there for me like when I had to go to like an urgent care center thought something had to uh, happen with my eye like he's always very very supportive and um you know we we're planning like trips you know in the, the the next coming couple of months together because we do really travel well together and like we cook a lot together we really connected on on the level that I hadn't really connected with people I had been going out on dates with in the past mm -hmm. and he's just like very kind and thoughtful like he would do anything for the people that he loves and you know we have talked about this issue and I think he knows um like that you know like two three months ago that I really was concerned about the behavior that I was seeing surrounding the drinking and so he's started to go to therapy to this um, person that we kind of like found together and um it's been I think once so far because it was kind of difficult to find an appointment with this person that we were trying to get him to um and he's you know he's really just like asking me to kind of like wait and at the same time like I've found like I needed a break from things more recently because it just makes me like whenever I see him sometimes I doubt him and I don't want to ask like have you been drinking because I feel like I can smell it on his breath and and he'll say no, and then I'm like, okay, maybe he hasn't been drinking, and it just, like, causes this conflict between us that I feel like it's almost better, I told him, like, it's better if we take a break, like, the way things are now, like, you go to therapy, you try to work it out, and, like, we can stay in touch, um, but, like, when I see you, and, like, you come to visit me, and I doubt you, like, that makes me really anxious about, like, mm -hmm it kind of shows me that I've lost that trust in you, I've lost the faith that I had in you and the future that we wanted to build together because 
we really did like want all the same things like we wanted to get engaged we wanted to get married like when I met his entire family and when we were traveling like they I stayed with them and I connected with his grandparents and his um his mom who lives in, who lives over there um and just like everything felt supernatural um and he'll go out of his way to make sure that like I have the best time whenever we are together um and that's why I think like he started to hide the drinking more um and recently because I felt like I you know I definitely expressed to him that this is a problem and that I can't um like I need to see some sort of changes and then he would say he wanted to stop and then I think he like realized that maybe he couldn't so easily as he thought and he tried to hide it I don't think it was that like when he leaves me, he feels like he now needs to go take care of himself. I feel like it's the other um, possibility where, like, he can't, like, he knows he does, doesn't want to drink around me. He said like, before, like, I wish I could be with you all the time because you make me feel so safe. You make me feel so whole. Like, whenever I'm with you, I don't even want to do any of this stuff. You're the most important thing to me. He said, like, you're the center of my world. Like, I really just want to, like, be better for you. Um, so like, but at the same time, I don't want him to do everything just because of me. Yeah. I want I want him to know that he needs to do it for himself too. And I think more recently he has come to that realization because I kind of asked him a little bit more. Like, when you were five years ago, when you were in a different city, like what was you know drinking like for you then? And we sort sort of like went through the times when he was drinking more, and he would. Later, I found out that he had signed up for that marathon because he felt like he was drinking more during the pandemic, and he wanted like a, something else to focus on and something else to look forward to. Um, so I think he's like may have had this issue for a while, and he knew, yeah. but it's sort of like he's very smart, so he can kind of hide it from from the people that love him the most, and he's tried to address it on his own, but. Yeah. It's like, I feel like if it you know if it causes a problem with your partner, then it's something that like needs to be looked at more closely, and that's what I yeah. tried to get him to like come to as right. well. Well, it's not, you know sometimes you'll you'll hear a term functional alcoholic, which is kind of a I don't so I, I don't like it at times because sometimes if someone works okay, we call them functional, but it's affecting their relationship, so it, it's causing dysfunctions in other places, uh, and it yeah. does seem like his drinking it's something he doesn't have control over you know he's he is battling it and trying to find a way a lot of what you're describing sounds like addiction type behaviors and responses um and so it's tough to be with someone who's dealing with addiction now yes you don't drink you know it's not part of your family so that makes you even more um you know have feelings about him and drinking but it does seem like it's not just your discomfort with drinking he really does have a problem that he has to to figure out I get that there's a lot there that's, you know, connecting you with him, the the family, everything seems to be going perfectly. And then, boom, all this stuff happens. And it can be really hard because you'd already started to plan your life with him. So it wasn't just the memories you had. It's also the uh, future you had planned in your mind with him mm-hmm. or we're seeing unfolding. Yeah. And that can be very hard to let go of. I, I get the sense from you that you think, I mean, you mentioned the break, but that you think that things can't continue um, you know, right now, it's hard for you, but that you don't think being with him will make sense right now. But tell me where you're at as far as that. And actually, let me ask this too, because I know when you called, when we talked quickly, I always screen the calls quickly before 
bringing people on. It seemed like your mom had encouraged you to call. So my my thought always when a parent is pushing the call is it did the parent have an agenda? Is it your mom's agenda of you know her hope that you'll end things there? That that was what I was wondering. But uh, I tell me is that so? That's a yes on that. So no, um, I think she's more in the boat of like he's trying like we should give him a chance he's trying like he's going to therapy and like maybe he'll be able to turn it around I think I'm I needed a break because I knew that I couldn't process all the information the emotional state that I was in because I was just like very hurt and 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 just literally crying all the time so Mm. I was like I can't even think about anything like facts wise and yeah I, I tried to, and, and also knowing that, like, you know, I have this, like, new big change in my life. Like, I know that I, I'll need all the stability I can get, and I don't really have, like, I feel like if I, if he moves to this, like, city with me, and then he has, like, the same kind of work-from-home setting job, where it, it seemed like, you know, in the past, like, he was working in the office, and he really, really cared a lot about that job a lot more. But then in the pandemic, he had to move back home and everything kind of got like work from home and there was no social interaction anymore, which it sounds like he started to drink more at home then. Um, and sort of like that problem has kind of been waxing and waning. And I feel like in the past couple months, it's been an acute flare of his, you know, um, of the issue that's been under underlying. But I, I'm thinking like, I don't know what to do because like right now we're on a break. He's going to therapy, but we'll talk at, at some points like during the day and you know like once a day so far it's been and he'll say like it's really hard for him to not see me all the time and he feels like we just have this like indefinite like break and he wants to know from me like what I want um, but it's like you know the break has really only been about a week and I feel like I need more time to just process mm-hmm. and like see his progress um, before I make a decision, but I know it's tough for him as well. Like, and he wants answers from me now. So I, I don't know, like, whether I should just be like, you know, you do what's best for you and, like, stay here and do what's best for you and we can keep in touch and at some point, like, check in whether we want to, like, start this relationship again, like, full force or if I should just kind of say, like, I'm not. I'm not like in a place where I can really invest everything into this relationship because I I do feel like the person that I knew in the beginning of the relationship hasn't been there for a while like I never felt like this in the beginning and I I'm pretty like a perceptive person and I feel like I would have picked up on it and it just like it does break my heart but at the same time like I feel like I need to protect myself in a way and yeah. like I don't know what the future is going to be like and it could be a rocky time for him and I don't want to like doubt him all the time and just have us like be fighting all the time and well the so thing I'm, is I'm more so like I I'm on a break right now and I don't know what I want to do mm-hmm. and my mom's like we should give him another chance which <laughs> well, is why well the we I, I don't I don't know if that 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 we word is not not good that she's saying we should give him another chance she's not part of giving him um, another chance it's whether or not you want to give him another chance yeah. and um I I think these things you're bringing up are very very concerning that it's important that you're taking them 
Uh, you're not taking them lightly because even the way you were describing yourself, there's like this anxiety, almost like you're, uh, you know, an investigator and you're trying to catch him or figure out what he's doing and, you know, playing detective work. And that's what happens when the trust gets damaged. You feel like I can't take him at his word or what's going on. Uh, You know, and this is what happens in addiction relationships. Codependency starts to form this sense of like, you have to take care of him, protect him. You're trying to catch him, understand him. It's just a lot. And so he seems like he's great and you have a lot of great things going in the relationship, but this is huge. This is not just something small. Uh, And I think that in my opinion, actually, if you do a break, it probably has to be cleaner than talking the way you are. I know that's even harder, especially initially. Um, But this way of staying connected and talking every day it probably doesn't allow the break to actually happen because you know you're still connecting and communicating it could be even yeah. harder um i get the sense you feel a guilt of hurting him or you know giving him that space so but that's gonna be important for you to think about what's best for you because if you're not in the right headspace to be in the relationship or it's not the right relationship it, it's not going to be good for him either and it does seem yeah. like you know if he's dealing with addiction none of us likes to feel bad of course but there's something called frustration tolerance. How much can we handle feeling bad? And it seems like he does really bad with that. So, you know, when he, he's not feeling good, he's turning to something to get rid of that. Or he's telling you, oh, this is really too hard for me. And of course it is, you know, to not be together. But, you know, and then it puts this pressure on you. Like you have to almost be this drug that then takes away that bad feeling by being with him or connected to him in some way. Yeah. And, and that's yeah. not going to not gonna work, you know. So I, I think you, you're better off going off you know with your gut i hope your mom gives you the space to make this decision completely on your own Mm -hmm. um and you know not that we should give him another chance because it's up to you of what you want to do it seems like you have gone through your life in a certain way and taken care of things and this is really throwing you for a loop because you're saying it's making you more anxious and i I don't know if your your um work or your your residency is going to pick up more and, you know, you have to get ready for that. Were you saying you're moving because of your residency or you already started? Um, yeah, so I, I start, you know, in July with um, everyone else. Um, and, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I did make the decision to rank this program higher. It's not in the city that I live in now. Um, it's like a four-hour drive. Um, and I, I just felt like, you know, my career is something I've focused on for much longer than... I've been with him and I didn't want to like choose to stay in the city just because like it yeah. would give me easier access to him. I, I really was like, if then that was in itself, in itself a very difficult decision to make because I had to make that decision right around when I started to notice this was an issue. Um, yeah. And I really just had to be honest with myself. Like, I don't know what the next four years holds, like, in terms of the relationship, but I do know that it's going to be, you know, like, residency is going to, like, really define kind of what I do with the rest yeah. of my career. I mean, I get this. Um, I think focusing on yourself and the residency is, is, is probably the right thing from what you're talking about. This relationship seems like it might derail you more than anything i don't know if your mom is is it some of it like a traditional like you should get married soon kind of a mindset yeah. okay yeah so exactly please and yeah I think she, yeah she also is like if he's your first and like you know all the first like we're with him and like you shouldn't just throw that away which no i, I mean do don't really... that means that really you you should, I, I would value that i mean you know do what you want with it but don't put any value on that that's the obviously persian traditional 
mindset about that and what is it you know even the value of the woman can change for them in the traditional mindset but that has no value on who you are and who you can and will be with in the future and I hope your mom will very much back off and give you that I know even you talking to me now it's kind of funny because I'm saying I hope she'll back off but that's why we're talking right now but and she might she might be regretting that too I don't know you can ask her but um I I do think like we do have boundaries with each other um I I I know she was concerned because I was like while we were on this break like I I was just you know very emotional and just like having a lot of like well that's that doesn't mean I mean day when I was crying and stuff and yeah well, that happens in any breakup. I, you know, this is something I also, people will say, oh, I still cry, you know, two weeks after the breakup, so I shouldn't have done it. Well, not necessarily. You're always going to be sad after a breakup, even if it was the right decision. So yeah. you can't take your sadness to me as any indication that you should or shouldn't be with him. Um, I'm yeah. glad, you know, in, in a strange way, I'm glad you're sad after a breakup of six months because that means, yeah. you know, it was something meaningful and you were putting yourself in the relationship genuinely. So all those things are going to be there. Now, I was thinking we were going to wrap up, but I don't want to leave mm-hmm. it just on this quick note. So I'm gonna we're gonna to go to commercial break and then we'll we'll come back and talk for a few minutes. Okay. Okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you. All right. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Uh, we were with the caller before the break. Let's go back to them now. Caller, are you still there? Yes. All right. I'm still here. And just giving you a heads up, we probably have about eight minutes left here in this uh, last segment before wrapping up the okay. show. Um, you know, we were getting into your your parents' involvement and your mom. You said there is a good amount of boundaries, though, but she's encouraging you to to stay, give him another chance, and likely that's due to some cultural of getting married, and also he's your first. And mm-hmm. really, you know, I hope that, of course, everything's going to be personal to you, but that the first parts like that him being the first in whatever ways uh, really becomes not a, at all involved or zero percent of making this decision because there's no reason to stay with him because he was your first that he has to be your last or to stay in a relationship mm-hmm. that is not working if that's the case so uh, just wanted to reiterate that point what are any kind of last thoughts as we're wrapping up here that you have or questions that might be helpful for you as you're trying to clarify what you want to do next yeah, thank you. I appreciate the time we spent. Um, sure. I guess, like, based on your experience, um, if I am to see kind of how his course with the therapist goes, like, what would be the typical timeline, or is there even a timeline where you would say, like, I could check back in with him if I if I do decide that I want to like just stay on a break and then reevaluate at the later points. Um, Cause I I really don't think I can go back to like the way things yeah. were, which is what he's asking for, because I just every time I see him, I'm reminded of like the times that he wasn't being truthful, or, mm-hmm. and I and and I don't think it's good for him either, because like you mentioned, like I, I do doubt him in ways that I wish I didn't have to, and yeah. Um, well, so as far as like, timeline, timeline, yeah, well, it's tough because, you know, and also I'm, I hope he goes to individual therapy, but it's likely he's going to need more than that. You know, it seems like he's dealing with addiction where he'll need to do something for that, whether it's some kind of AA right. group or some kind of su- supplemental or extra uh, type of treatment rather than just once a week individual therapy. Um, yeah. I think, you know, the more I'm hearing you talk, it does seem like you're your gut is telling you that you need to step away from this, at least for now. And, yeah. it, you know, I think 
it also would be good for you to step away from it to give yourself some space to see really what you feel about it. Because as long as you're connecting and communicating with him and then talking to your mom about it or other people, it's going to color the way you feel about it. Because mm-hmm. when you talk to him, it seems like it pulls on you to be like, oh, I feel bad for him or I want to make sure he's okay. And you're going to have to let him take care of himself, whatever it is yeah. he's going through. I know it's just, you know, he can put this pressure on you that, what you know, don't you want to be there with me to like, you know, help me get through this? But this is not something you can help him get through. He needs to mm-hmm. help himself. And I think right. you need to give yourself some time because right now, like you said, if you wait a month and then you reconnect, you're going to be so concerned that even if he tells you, he's obviously going to tell you he's fine or whatever is going on, but you're going to be back in detective mode. And that anxiety yeah. you described, that's not that's not a relationship. That's not how you go forward with something with that feeling of I have to, you know, keep tabs or check, or if he tells me something, Mm -hmm. I have to double check, you know, it it seems like there's a lot that has been broken in the trust. So I get the sense you need to give yourself a good amount of space. You're starting your new residency, moving, giving yourself Mm -hmm. that space. That can also help just literally being in a new state and state of mind could help you get Mm -hmm. away or at least a new city to, to give some space and separation to think about this more with the cooler head and even your feelings will be cooler that you can really look at what you want. But I get the sense that continuing would not make sense. There's just really no way that if you continue those, that trust is going to get resolved. I think you're going to have to give yourself yeah. some time to to see how you feel away from him uh, and then decide, give yourself a few months because he, it, for him to, you know, deal with what he's dealing with will take more than a few months, you know. So even yeah. to go back to that question, it's not that, you know, eight sessions of therapy, he's going to change what's happening. It's it's a long term thing. He has to deal with this trauma that happened with his brother losing him and then mm-hmm. his addiction now, which is, you know, this other issue, a big issue. These things won't disappear anytime fast or go anywhere. So um, right. I think it's very hard for you too. you know, I, and I want you to focus on your feelings because when you talk to him, you worry about him or he shares what he's going through, but you have your own pain. And even it could be good for you to go to therapy, to look at this, work on this deeper. You know, we had this conversation. I hope it was helpful, but in therapy, you can go way deeper and explore Mm -hmm. what's going on for yourself, not just about him, but about what else is happening, what you can learn from what's happening, um, you know, and on all of that. So I would highly recommend that when you, as you're moving uh, or you know, finding someone, lots of therapists are doing virtual sessions. So if you're in the same state, you can possibly even start now and to Mm -hmm. do that for yourself to explore what's going on. Yeah. I appreciate it. Thank you. Sure. Yeah. It's a tough, it's really tough. You're very welcome. You know, and I, as I was saying, I hope you will, um, you know, I understand your mom probably cares a lot and wants to to help you. Other people are going to care, but it seems like, you know, you're the one that has to be in the relationship. So you know what it feels like to be in it. And as much as you yeah. care for him and, and you know thought he was going to be the one, it seems like the things that happened really, really, you know, shattered you. It was almost a traumatic experience for yourself going through these these things that yeah, you went through. Yeah, I feel like a physically as well. Like I just every time I'm telling it, it, I just feel like the anxiety like coming back. And I I never really felt that way before about mm-hmm. anything. And I'm just like I just need to listen to my gut here. Yeah. And I think you do. And the thing you have to also, you know, go, this is, uh, you know, not to like go in the other direction, but going back to how mm-hmm. you started our conversation, you said was, you know, kind of go get her, taking care of things and really didn't pay attention to relationships. You know, there could be a side of you that has been good at taking care of things and having control of them. 
But then when yeah. you go into relationships, not that it should feel completely out of control as it's getting to in this situation, but there always is mm-hmm. that part where we have to recognize we won't have control and that there yeah. always will be an anxiety um, I think for someone like you and what you went through when you're entering a relationship. Now you're saying with him initially it wasn't there, so that's that's good. But something to be aware of for yourself that at times you maybe have gotten used to being completely in control of your life and what was happening, but then yeah. in a relationship we always have a, a whole other person who, uh, you know, is, is going to affect exactly, things. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And I think this being like really my my first experience and like having a deep connection with someone like this, like. I really didn't know what to expect. Yeah. So in the beginning, I was like, maybe this is something that, you know, I can, like, I can help him or, like, be there for mm-hmm. him. But at some point, I think it does feel like I'm putting in way more than. Yeah. And you're going like, to get, you're going to get less and less. And I don't mean to cut you off just so we're almost out of time, but you're going to get yeah. less. You know, you started getting less and less out of it and became more about his drinking and monitoring what was going on. And the other thing I'll mention is that with some distance from this, whether it's a break or whatever it is, you'll actually be able to learn the lessons or learn things from this better. But as long as you're in this in-between with him, you won't be able to actually take as much away from this experience because you're still, you know, the wounds are still there. They're not going to be healing. So I I get the sense, especially with this transition you have, it could be a good time to put some space between you and him. Could there be some future? Yes. But for now, I would consider it better to make it a cleaner break because the talking mm-hmm. every day is just going to keep it, you know, the, the break won't really be happening and you're in this half relationship, which is probably going to hurt you and, and him and not let you get through what you need to get through. So, um, yeah. you know, it's a tough situation. Okay. Wish you all the best. Mm-hmm. It was nice talking to you and good luck. Thank you. Thank you very much, doctor. My pleasure. Take care. All right. That brings us to the end of today's show. Thank you to all the callers and listeners. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Delacqui. Have a wonderful day. Thank mm-hmm. you.